Thanks for taking some time to listen to this message on the Elevate Church podcast. We believe that God will speak to you wherever you are. Now, let's prepare our hearts and hear what God has for us today. Hey, I'm so glad that you guys are here. I think it's going to be a fantastic day in God's Word. And I, I do believe that we are in this series called Joy Jitsu, and this is week three. If you have your Bible, open it up to Philippians. This really has been a study over the book of Philippians, chapter one, the first week, chapter two, last week, this week, we are in chapter three. If you don't have God's word in your hands, we'll have it up here on the screen, but I want you to know we also have Bibles in the back, and we'd be happy to get you a a copy of the text. Uh, As we dive in, how many of you remember in school that you had to identify patterns and sequences? You know what I'm talking about? Like, let, let me take you back if you're, if you're not following me. Like, they would give you this, this, this math sequence, and it would be like 5, 10, 15, and they would give you a blank, and you had to fill in the blank. Do you remember what I'm talking about? So if it was 5, 10, 15, what would be the next number? 20. And then another blank would be 25, because we were working by fives, right? And there was this pattern and it was easy to figure out what number came next as long as you knew the pattern, as long as you knew what you were working by. Well, I got a a puzzle for you that I want you to solve. All right, let's put it up on the screen. You see that question mark? Tell me what number that is. Okay, okay, well, wait, wait, let me, let me give you a little bit of uh, help because maybe that will help us identify the pattern. Everything up here has something in common. Ooh, somebody said it. Everything up here, in fact, let me put it this way. It, they are all mirror images of each other. They are, are symmetrical. Now can you identify what's missing? Let me tell you, there, it's a number. Six. Right, if you, if you look at it, it's like one, two, three, four, five, six. They are mirror images. And it's like, oh, when you understand the pattern, right, you can take that away. When you understand the pattern, it's easy. When you get the pattern of something, the light bulb comes on, you're like, oh yeah, now I, I see it. Well, let me show you something about joy. Because Paul writes this in Philippians 3:17. He says, brothers and sisters, together, Follow my example and observe those who live by the what? Say it out loud. By the the pattern. Wait a second. You mean there's a pattern to this thing? You mean there's a pattern? You mean that that's not just some random picture up there that, that you know, I'm trying to figure out how to solve it? You mean that, that if I understand the pattern to life, if I understand the pattern to how to have joy, that I can get the same results every single time? There is a, a pattern, and if I could just learn the pattern, Paul's like, yeah, there's a pattern to having this joy in your life. And here's what I believe. There's a pattern to almost everything in your life. There's a pattern to having successful relationships, Do you know that? If you follow the pattern. There's a pattern to having a great career. There's a pattern to being successful in your finances. There is a pattern for you to win in almost every area of your life, but you have to see the pattern. And in Philippians, it's really helping us decipher what is the the pattern, because when we know the pattern of joy, it's almost like a light bulb comes on in our life. And so this book that we're, we're discovering of Philippians, there's this pattern to joy. And today I want to continue to show you that pattern, a pattern that would, would enable Paul to be in a Roman prison, to be chained to a guard or chained to another prisoner who was awaiting death row, that, to still have joy in his, 
his life. And to still say, I want you to follow this example and live by the pattern that we gave you. So I want to talk about this pattern to joy. But before we get there, I want to give you some warnings. Because Paul, being the good pastor that he is, he always kind of sets us up with some warnings in our life because there are some joy killers. How many of you know that? There are some people in our life that kill our joy. You know what I'm talking about? They're called killjoys. And they rob the joy that is in our, our life. And some of you are like, yes, yes, that's what we need to talk about. Those killjoys, amen, preach it, pastor. I hope they're watching online today. Or maybe they're sitting beside you today, and so you're like, still, you're not moving at all, but you're amening me in your heart right now. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You've never amened me at all, and, but today you're, you're screaming it out loud in your heart. I hope they're catching this. And we have some killjoys in our life, people that rob us of our joy. How many of you know there are some people that have a, a spiritual gift of sucking the life out of a room? You could be having a great day. Everything's going great. They walk in 30 seconds later, you want to put your head through a wall, right? Because they have this ability to somehow ruin your, your day. But this is joy jitsu. And so we're learning how to, how to fight for joy no matter who we come into contact with. But here's what I submit. Our greatest enemy to the, the joy in our life is often not other people. That the greatest adversary that we have that is, is, you know, against the, the joy that God wants us to have is often the person that we look at in the mirror every single day. That there are some things that we can do, that you can do, that I can do, that kill the joy in our life. There are some internal things in our life that will rob our joy. And I want to share these to, as we kick this off. So they're sneaky. They're stealthy. They're, they're, they operate in the shadows of our heart. And in our mind, in fact, let me ask you this. If someone was to come into your house on Monday and rob you, just rip you off for everything that you had, and then they came back the next Monday and they robbed you again, and then they came back the Monday after that and they robbed you again, and the next Monday they came back and robbed you again, how many of you, after the first time they robbed you, you'd be calling the police, right? You'd be changing your, your locks. you get a new security system. you trade your chihuahua for a Rottweiler, right? You would do all these like, I hope you would. You, you would, you would make, take some um, um, measures to protect your house, would you not? You would take some, some things to protect your house, to protect your, your home. But I wonder how many of us allow things in our life to rob us in our joy over and over and over and over again, and we don't do anything about it. I wonder how many of us every Monday is like, here you go, take my joy when we show up to work. Then the next week, here you go, take my joy, take my joy. It's almost like, you know, just pick my pocket, have, have my, my joy. Here's what I believe Paul is telling us. We have to get as tenacious about protecting the joy that we have as you would about protecting your home. We have to get that fired up to fight for the joy that God has given us. And so I want to first give you three things that are hard to identify Three things that will kill our joy. Three things that will assassinate the, the fruit of, of the spirit in our life. And part of that is the joy that we have. And since this is joy jitsu, they're all going to be represented by ninjas. All right? Because ninjas operate in the dark. I'm calling this message fruit ninjas. So if you want to write that down. And then we're going to wrap up with three things I think Paul would tell us in order to live a pattern of joy. And so it would be fruit ninjas and pattern power. A little shout out to Umizumi if you have any idea what that is. But first let's talk about 
the fruit ninjas. The first one is this, write it down. It's the ninja of forgetfulness. Forgetfulness will kill your joy. Here's what Paul says. If you're there in Philippians chapter three, verse one, he said, further, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Over and over, 16 times in this chapter, he tells us to have joy or to rejoice. Again, it's just this massive theme of this book uh, of Philippians, this letter he wrote. Further, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble, I love this, for me to write the same things to you again. Somebody say again. He says, and it is a safeguard for your soul. In other words, it's no problem for me to remind you. It's no problem for me to tell you uh, that, that, that you need to have this in your life. I'll, I'll tell it to you over and over and over again because how many of you know some things slip? I heard a, a leader once say that vision slips, vision leaks, and so we have to keep it in front of us over and over again. You know how we'll always say things like you need to you know, know God, find freedom, discover purpose, or make a difference, or you'll hear us say that we exist so that people who are far from God can reach their full potential in Christ, and you're like, yeah, Colby, I'm, I'm, you know, when are you going to stop saying those things? Never, right? I'm going to say it until I die because vision leaks, vision slips, and that's what Paul's saying. I had no problem reminding you of these things. I need to remind you, and I'll write it again and again and again. I heard a story of a pastor uh, who was newly elected to a church. They were part of one of those churches where you voted on stuff, which is from the devil, just so you know. I'm throwing that out there. And he was newly elected to this church, and uh, he came to preach his first weekend and, and killed it. And they're like, man, pastor, that was an incredible message. Like, man, we're so glad that you're here. Preacher can preach. Kind of like how you guys feel every single week here at Elevate Church. Just throw that out there. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Relax. I'm kidding. All right? I'm not fishing for stuff. But they're like, man, that was amazing. And then the next week he comes back and preaches the exact same message. And they're like, hold up. Was that the same message? I think it was. It sounded familiar. And they're like, I don't know. Comes back the third week, the exact same message again. And they're like, yeah, yeah, he definitely preached that three weeks in a row. Fourth week, same message. And so finally, a group of leaders in the church got together and pulled him aside and said, hey, pastor, you know, we appreciate having you here. We love the message that you've brought, but you've preached the same message four weeks in a row. You know what he said? He said, I know. And when you start to live that one out, I'll move on to the next one. <laughs> How many of you know we need to hear things over and over and over and over again? It's not enough to, to, to actually just listen to something. We need to use it. We need to exercise it out. And when we forget what God has done in our lives, the goodness that he has for us, it kills our joy. And so that's what Paul's saying. I need to remind you. In fact, he writes it all the time. I need to remind you about salvation. I need to remind you that it was a, a free gift, that it wasn't by anything that you did. It's by, you know, it's grace alone, grace through you know, faith, that was, that was it. So you don't boast about it. You can't take credit for it. He says, I need to remind you that you were far from God. And I showed up, you know, in prison. They, they arrested me and put me in jail. And then we had this worship moment and the change broke free. And because of that, this whole church started. Paul's like, I need to remind you of some things. Because when we forget, right, it kills our joy. It kills our joy to be in the middle of a, a circumstance, to be in the middle of a, a season and not remember God's faithfulness through it all. If that's the case, we end up like the, the Israelites 
who witnessed um, the parting of the Red Sea firsthand. Like, like they saw God do amazing things on their behalf. They saw the wind blow all night long, you know, to dry up the ground so they could walk through. The ground wasn't even muddy, and it wasn't muddy because God didn't want them to bring the residue of their old life into their new life. Come on, somebody, that'll preach right there. Like, God did that for them, and they saw it. And then days later, not weeks later, not months later, days later, they were complaining already, we should be back in slavery. We should be back with a wicked Pharaoh. We should be back making bricks because they forgot the goodness of God. And when you do that, it will kill your joy. So we need to have this regular habit of remembering the goodness of God. That's why the Apostle Paul, or Apostle John wrote in the book of Revelation, which was this open vision he had of heaven. He says this in, in chapter 2, verse 4. This is what I have against you. This is God speaking to him. You have abandoned the love you first had. In other words, God's telling us, I wish you would return back to your first love. Man, I wish you would get back to that moment where you realize that you are, 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 are saved, that moment that you fell in love with God because it's impossible for us to live a, a joy-filled life in a joyless, loveless world if we abandon the very source of love and joy itself. If we abandon that source that we have in God. So Paul says, I need to remind you, and I got no problem saying it over and over again. I don't want you to forget because forgetfulness will kill your joy. And then he talks about the second stealthy fruit ninja, number two, write it down. It's a ninja of laziness. Uh-oh. Complacency. It's when we let down our, our guard that our joy can be killed. Look what it said in verse two. He says, watch out. I love Paul's language, by the way. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Well, that doesn't sound good, Colby. That's because it's not. That's not a good thing. In fact, what he's saying is there were some people that, that were saying in order to be saved, you need to, you need to like, you know, confess Jesus as Lord of your life. You need to believe that he was the Messiah. And you had to undergo a small little surgery. It was outpatient, but, you know, you had to it's circumcision. All right, are you with me? They're like, it wasn't just Jesus alone, it was Jesus and you had to have this outward demonstration, this thing happened. Now, usually when I talk about circumcision, I usually say, all right, you know, if you don't know what I'm talking about, email Pastor Will at will at elevatechurch.com. <laughs> He'll explain it to you. However, in God's goodness and favor and mercy in my life, he made his face to shine upon me and the glory of the Lord shone round about me and just this week, my wife happened to be explaining this procedure to our boys, and I caught the end of it on video for your viewing pleasure. Check this out. Shop it right like there, and then they roll it back, and then they put like a band on it, and then that makes the, like, because you know, there's like a little smaller section, and then bigger. <laughs> So they push the skin back, and then there's like a little ring around it. They used to actually put a ring, and then the ring would fall off. But Wait, I don't else? get it. Can you say it again? Stop it, It's true. So there you go. That's my house. You're welcome for that. Um, she's been teaching at LeeCom, you know, for the last few years, explaining. How crazy is that? Like this week when we're talking about it, this just happened to be 
telling my boys and explaining it. And Paul says this, he says, he calls them mutilators of the flesh. Don't let them do that. Don't get so lazy where you allow that stuff to, to creep in. He says those dogs, those, those evil men. I think I want to start using Paul's language. He says, watch out, be on guard. Because when you get lazy, people start to creep in and start to put things on you that are not the things of God. There's some voices that will start to, to come into your life and speak things that are not, not from God and they'll drain you and they'll suck the joy right out of you. They begin to say things like, yeah, 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 well, you have to do that and something else in order for God to love you. You know, you have to, you have to do this, you have to look like that, you have to dress this way, talk this way, act this part in order for God to love you. And Paul's like, no, none of that at all. Don't, don't allow anybody to add anything to you Watch out, because when we don't watch out and we get lazy, we're an easy target for the enemy who loves nothing more than to steal, kill, and destroy the joy that we have. And so when we don't guard our heart and our mind, which, by the way, the Bible says that the wellspring of life flows out of our, our heart and our mind, when we don't guard it from people who will speak negativity, people who will speak doubt over us, people who will speak um, fear into our lives when God is trying to, to raise faith up in our life. He says you can't get lazy. Don't drop your guard for a moment or you're an open target for an assault from the enemy. So some of you might say, well, what, what should I do, PC? Because I live with those people. I live with the negative people. I, I live with, you know, the, I'm related to them. Well, you have to filter what you let in. Just because you hear something doesn't mean you have to receive it. I hear a lot of things that I refuse to allow into my heart, into my, my mind. Don't get lazy. Keep your guard up against that. Because when we don't guard it and we don't watch out, I'll, I'll just say this. How many of you know not everybody wants you to be filled with joy? Not everybody in your life gets excited about God's favor being poured out in your life. Not everybody wants you to, to have God's um, um, favor or blessing poured out, so you got to watch out. And Paul says, love people, but watch out. Care about people, yes, but watch out. Like, don't lose compassion for others. Don't build up walls around people, but watch out. Watch out. When we get lazy and complacent, the enemy creeps in. Here's the, the third ninja, and this just might be the stealthiest one of all, because this one's tricky. On the surface, uh, it sounds like it's a good thing. And write this down. It's the ninja of independence. Being independent. I'm independent. I'm my own person. And what we said in week one in the series was that happiness comes from the world. That happiness is temporary. You know, you can have moments of happiness in this life, but they don't, they don't last. It's temporary and it's external. But joy comes from a different place. Joy comes from God's spirit. Joy is given to us. Joy is what we're, we're after. It comes from the spirit of God. And so when we are independent, we're relying on self. When we're independent, we are not relying on, we are not dependent on the spirit of God to give us joy in our life. This is what he says in verse 3. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his his spirit. Paul's like, you know what? Actually, the circumcision that matters the most is the one where God comes into your life and he cuts your heart and he transforms you from the inside out. It's not this outward demonstration, but it's the one that happens from the inside and it changes us. He says, so we serve God because of that by his spirit who boasts in Christ Jesus and who put, check it out, no confidence in the flesh. In other words, my confidence is not in my ability 
My confidence is not in my strength. My confidence is not in my will. My confidence is found in Christ alone. Because I'm not relying on me. I'm not independent. In fact, I'm incredibly dependent on God working in and through my life. And it will kill your joy when you start relying on you. And here's what will happen. Even as we're going through this series on joy, you might get to the place where you're like, okay, I'm learning how to fight for joy. I got some joy jitsu going on. I'm learning from Sensei Paul about how to have joy no matter what I, I face. And then you start walking through things and you're like, I got joy. I got, you know, I'm walking through a tough time, but not today, Satan. I have, I have joy and people start to recognize it in your life. And they're like, man, I know what you're going through, but it seems like you're going through it with a peace and a calm in your life. It seems like you have, have joy. And then all of a sudden you can start to say, you know what? I think I'm good. I think I got this. I think I can do it. The dangerous word in that being I, I can handle it. I can do it. How, how many of you that have ever gone through any recovery kinds of programs, which by the way, we're all in recovery of something. You should know that. Not just talking about drugs or alcohol, but how about pride or anger or lust or, or these things in our life. But when you start thinking you're good, that's one of the most dangerous times in your life. And we start saying things like, I'm doing good. I'm, I'm holding myself up. And little by little, we start relying on our independence. Instead of waking up every day and saying, you know what, God, I am completely and utterly dependent on you. I cannot live a joy-filled life unless you give it to me. I cannot live this way. I cannot do it on my own. So we have to fight against these stealthy little fruit ninjas that want to come into our life, the ninjas of forgetfulness, laziness, and independence. But thankfully, Paul gives us a pattern to fight. Someone say pattern. And what did he say in verse 17? Follow my example. Observe those who went before you. Observe the, the pattern that we gave you. And so in verse 7, he starts to share. He says this, but whatever were gains to me. In fact, here's the first sequence in our pattern. I want you to write it down, and that is to live larger. First thing we got to do is to live larger. He says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He goes on to say, for whose sake I have lost all things and I consider them trash. I consider it garbage. I consider it rubbish that I may gain Christ. He said, whatever I've done, whatever accolades that I have received, whatever thing looks like success in my, my life, whatever level of intelligence that I have, have been to, I consider all that, the NLT says, worthless. It means nothing when I think about all that Jesus has done for me. He says, I'm living larger. I'm not focusing on that, I'm living large. He goes on to say, this in verse nine, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. In other words, not independence, not relying on myself. When I rely on myself, that will kill me. He says, not from my own, but that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on what? The basis of faith. How are we made right with God? Through the basis of of faith, that's it. 
In fact, we baptized a few weeks ago, like 68 people, something like that, on Easter. It was awesome. It was amazing. But can I tell you something? Baptism does not save you. It doesn't save you. And the reason I believe that baptism does not save you is because God wanted salvation to be 100% by faith and faith alone. Otherwise, he could have said, you know what, be baptized or, or pray a prayer, be baptized, and then you'll, you, you'll go to heaven one day. But I think he left it off the list because we could look at it and go, you know what, I did walk down there. I did, you know, change clothes. I am the one that got in the, the water. He's like, no, it's by faith and faith alone. That's it. It comes from God. It's all him and him alone, the basis of faith. And then he says, I want to know Christ in verse 10. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And Paul's like, I'm living for something larger. Like, I want to know Christ. I want to know the power that comes from his resurrection, becoming like him. And so, verse 11, somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. I'm living larger. He says, all that I've attained to, in fact, if you read a few verses before, Paul tells us, you know what? I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. And that's how I was raised. I was circumcised on the eighth day. You know, I was, I was, I was being groomed to be something great in the Pharisaical sect of my time. I was climbing the ladder. Like, I was good. I was well-educated. You know, I was well-respected. Paul says, all that stuff that I gained, that I thought was so valuable, all those things that I could receive praise for, pats on the back, accolades, the things I was destined to in my future, he says, it was all worthless. It was all trash compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing God. I'm living for something larger. And so Paul tells us the pattern to real joy starts right here, to live for something Larger, You will have a joyless life if your life is all about you. In fact, we, we, we talked last week how if you are the center of your universe, what a sad existence that is. Like if it's all about, about you, you're going to have a small, small life. Live for something bigger. Live for something, something eternal, which is why, by the way, we're always saying, hey, crash course is your next step. Because Crash Course helps set you up to, to partner with this church and advance the mission of this church. And can I tell you something? You need to be a part of advancing the mission of the church. And it doesn't have to be this one. Let me just throw that out there. You find a church that you're connected to that's doing great things for the cause of Christ. And you get involved and you partner with that church because it's not about us. And we're a part of something that is greater than just the part that we play. And so we need to live larger because the goal is not to get to the end of your life and say, you know what? I worked hard and I can retire well. The goal is not to say, you know, I can travel. I can go here. I can go there. You know, I can hang out with my, my grandkids or, you know, I can, I can, you know, build, I built a great career and I'll die one day. If that was the goal, then what a sad story that is. And I'm not saying don't do those things. Yes. Build a great career. Like, man, do amazing in your, in your career. I pray it over your life. I, in fact, if you're a Christian, your career, your workplace ought to be better because you're there. If you're a believer, man, you ought to lead better than anyone else. So I pray that over you. Have a great career. Plan for the future. 
retire, you know, well, plan ahead. The Bible says there's wisdom in doing all that. There's, there's wisdom in making a plan and preparing for that. Do all that stuff. Just don't let that be the period in your life. Let that be the comma of your life. Are you with me? Say, I'm going to do all that comma, and I'm going to serve those who are the least and the poorest in El Salvador. I'm going to do all that, comma, and I'm going to partner with this church. I'm going to feed people in our city. I'm going to take them groceries. I'm going to do all that, comma, and I'm going to raise up the next generation of world changers. I'm going to pour my wisdom into them. Are you with me? Like, I'm not, just don't let that be the period of your life. Those things are fine, but you need to live for something larger, larger. I think sometimes we get hung up on this because we get so overwhelmed by our past that we don't believe God can use us in our present. And let me just say, if the enemy has you stuck thinking about all the mistakes you made, stuck thinking about your past, having you look back on your life, let me just encourage you, look back a little bit further because you're gonna find a cross with a man named Jesus who died for all your sins, for all your mistakes that you made and wipes them away. So when the enemy has you looking back at your past at five years or 10 years ago, go back further than that. Go back 2,000 years, you'll find a man named Jesus who died so that everything old in your life could be made new in your life. Are you with me? Come on, that's what you need to look at. Don't get stuck because the enemy wants you to consider just your past. Live for something bigger. Live large. Somebody shout, I'm living large. When somebody asks you, what are you doing? Say, I'm living large. Yo, that's what you need to say. Number two, gain ground. I love this one. Gain ground. Press on. This is what Paul tells us in verse 12. He says, not that I have already obtained all this. Man, I think we can get so stuck on like the power of the, you know, I want the resurrection of the, the dead. I want the power of that. I want this, this new life. But Paul's saying, wait, wait, wait. I'm not saying that, that I've, I've reached a certain level. I'm not saying that I've arrived here. I'm not saying that I've attained all this. Like I'm on this journey too. And I love that about Paul. He's like, I'm doing this with you. He says, I'm not already obtained all this or have arrived at my goal, but here's what I do. I keep moving. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. He says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And he says, you know what? If you're mature in this, you should take the same view. I love that. Because this really is about growing our faith and becoming more and more mature. He says, if you want to be mature, you know, maturity is, is knowing that you haven't arrived. Maturity is knowing that there's another step for you to take in your journey. You know, intolerable Christians to me are those that walk around like they've arrived someplace. That's super annoying. Like, I just realized one day that, you know, I'm a beggar looking for bread, and I'm trying to tell other people who are beggars where the loaf of bread is that I've found. Like, I have not arrived any place. In fact, if I've ever given you the, the idea, I repent right now in Jesus' name, if you've ever, you know, thought that I've arrived, I want, I'm with Paul. Like, I want to count it all blessing. And some days I do, and some days I don't. I, I, want to, I want to be able to count it all rubbish, right? And some days I do, 
Some days I don't. Some days I'm more concerned about, about things and material things and, and this stuff. I, I want to be able to count it all joy and live full of joy. And some days I do. But some days, if I'm being honest, I don't. Like I haven't arrived. I'm not at some place. Paul says, I don't want you to think for a second just because I'm writing to you about joy from a prison cell that I have, I have reached something, that I figured this whole thing out. He says, I have good days and I have bad days. But here's what I am doing. I'm pressing on. I'm moving forward. I'm not staying stuck. I'm not settled. I'm not satisfied with where I am. I am going to press on. He says, because, right, there is a prize. I see something over the horizon while somebody here needs to hear today that that thing that you are walking through, listen, on the other side of the horizon, there is a prize for you. There is joy for you if you will continue to press on, to move step by step. That's what happens. When we start to gain ground little by little, but how many of you know sometimes we get stuck because we, we just start looking at that thing in front of us instead of through the thing in front of us? And Paul says, you can't just look to it. You got to look through that thing. I'm pressing on. And is that not what Jesus did for us? Did we not learn last week that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross? The cross wasn't joyful. That's not what this verse tells us. It didn't say Jesus couldn't wait to get on the cross. He said, no, there was joy on the other side of this cross. There was joy there. So I'm willing to, to press on. I'm willing to move on. I'm willing to get arrested in a garden and take another step and then get falsely accused and take another step and be, be whipped, you know, with a, a cat of nine tails, get 49 plus one lashings and take another step. I'm willing to get the cross on my back and walk down the Via Dolorosa and take another step. For you and for me, he's like, I'm going to do those things all the way to Calvary. He didn't say that was fun. He said, there's something on the other side of the resurrection. You and me. He said, for the joy set before him. Man, I don't know what you're walking through, but I know that if you keep walking, there's a joy set before you on the other side of that thing. If you would just endure, if you would not eject too, too soon. The Bible says weeping lasts for a night, right? But, but the what? The joy comes in the morning. And some of you never get to the joy of the morning because you've never gotten through your, your midnight. And you keep waiting for God to change the circumstances in your life. And God's just waiting for you to move, to gain a little ground, to take, take another, another step. And if all you can do is take one little step, take one little step. Just gain some ground. You know, be encouraged from Paul. Just continue to press on. Press on. Here's the last thing I want to give you, this last pattern to our joy. I think Paul instructs us is to, to have a, a fixed focus. So we live large. We've got to continue to gain ground and then have a fixed focus. Verse 20 says this, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a day, uh, eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. What does it mean our citizenship is? is in heaven. He says, that's your home. This is not your home. Week one, we taught that, that we need to focus on the end game. And I know some of you are thinking, yeah, yeah. You know what, actually, Colby, I wasn't gonna say anything, but this sounds a little bit reminiscent of the first week. But isn't it interesting that Paul said, you know what, I have no problem. He kicked this whole thing off saying, I have no problem reminding you of this again. I got no problem writing the same thing over and over to you. Otherwise, you might forget. He says, our citizenship is in heaven. 
Like this is not our home. This isn't our home. This isn't our final destination. So why on earth would you, would you put down roots in a place that you're passing through? Why on earth would you get so caught up and, and want to be fulfilled in a place that ultimately does not fulfill? My, my grandfather was a Methodist minister in Alabama. And he used to say something like this. He would say um, that we are pilgrims in this land that we're just passing through. That's how the, the, the elderly folks have put it. We're, we're pilgrims in this, this land. And I know that's not a, a modern way to say it, but how many of you know that's great truth? And we're just pilgrims in this land. This is not our home. This is not our home. I, I wanna read you one thing that I found this morning. This is the message version of Hebrews chapter 11. And Hebrews chapter 12 is this great chapter on these these men and women of faith. The Bible says there's a great cloud of witnesses watching us run our race. And it talks about how great their faith was, but it says this in Hebrews 11 verse 13. Each one of these people of faith, talking about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, these giants of the faith, Rachel and, and Ruth and Boaz, each one of these people of faith did not yet having in hand what was promised, but still believing, how did they do it? Well, this is how. They saw it way off in the distance, waved their greeting and accepted the fact that they were transients in this world. They accepted the fact that this was not their, their home. People who live this way make it plain that they are looking for their true home. If they were homesick for the old country, they could have gone back at any time they wanted, but they were after a far better country, a far better place. And it says heaven country, a heaven home. You can see why God is so proud of them and has a city waiting for them. I need to remind you, this is not your home. That if you are a follower of Jesus, when you when you anchor your, your faith to your future home, it enables you to withstand the storms in our present one. Now, this is not your home. But you know, we never talk about heaven as our home. I don't know if you're anything like me. I'll talk about all these places that I wanna go to. You know, I'll say things like, man, I, I wanna go to the Bahamas or I wanna go to, I wanna go to Hawaii. You know, one day, I'm gonna to get to Hawaii, or one day I'm gonna to get to you know, the Mediterranean, it's gonna be awesome. You know, Why do we never talk about forever that way? Why don't we ever talk about the fact that one day this world is going to fade and our future existence as followers of Jesus will be in an eternal home where there is no weeping, where there is no crying, where there is no plague, where there is no disease, where there is no racism, where there is no cynicism, where there's no division, right, prejudice, where there is no hate, there's no sin to plague us anymore. It's an eternal home and the Bible says that we are gathered around Jesus, that Jesus is the son. Like we don't even need the son because he's there, that there's no more this veil between us, that we are not separated from him any longer. Come on, why don't you stand to your feet? Thanks for checking out this week's message on the Elevate Church podcast. And we hope you really enjoyed it. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. Welcome to the family. 
We would love to know about it, so please let us know by going to elevatechurch.com yes. There'll be some practical resources that will help you as you start this journey. If you want to support the mission and vision of Elevate Church to help people far from God reach their full potential in Christ, go to elevatechurch.com give. We'll see you soon. Have a great week.